Broadcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world. Around the world. It's the Sins Nation Podcast. Okay, welcome to the show. It's episode 75. That's a nice milestone. It's Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy, back again to talk a little hockey, specifically Ottawa Senators hockey. And today, what Hall of Fame human highlight reel did DJ Smith just compare Tim Stutzla to? Josh Norris voted the fourth best rookie in the NHL this year, so he's got that going for him, which is nice. And the 67's in the market for a new head coach. That's all still ahead today here on the Sands Nation podcast. It is brought to you by DunRobinDistilleries.com. So pour a little something-something in the glass here. Yes, a little Canadian rye whiskey. Oh, I love that. Uh, let's say hello to the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? <laughs> things are good now, Steve, now that you've poured. Yes, yes. And the 75th anniversary, that's like a that's like a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I don't think I have any uh, anything planned or anything. There's no dancing <laughs> girls or anything like that, but uh, it is a good run. Well, it's like uh, 25 is silver, 50 is gold. What's 75? Boy, there's not many of them around to know, right? I mean, that's, yeah, I'm googling uh, that's, it. As, I was super... googling it while you were talking there. Apparently, I think it might be platinum. Wow. I mean, how many couples make it? Both of them to the 75th anniversary. Yeah, good point. Anyway, why, why, let me see. My parents. One. This year will be their 70th. Wow. Yes, this year will be. Oh, geez, that's a big deal, isn't it? You better get on that. Wow. Yes, that's right, because they were married in 51. So this will be their 70th anniversary. I won't even live to 70, and these people will have lived together for 70. That's crazy. Well, wow. what's the When's the big day? Do you know? <laughs> yes. You it's better in, find uh, out. It's in October. October the 20th. Nice. Yeah. Or was it the 21st? Yeah. Well, all the best of the Kennedys. That's yeah, great. 70 years. Wow. I just realized that. Anyway, yeah. sorry. I've interrupted. I've hijacked the show. No, no, you haven't at all. Um, I always <laughs> like this. So we call the chit chat portion, the warm up portion of the show. Uh, Host good, chat. Exactly. How's the week been? <laughs> the week's been good, Steve. Uh, uh, watching hockey, watching it. Now it's turned over to the Blue Jays now, of course, because there's not. Uh, before the hockey ends, uh, I, I watch the Blue Jays and that Blue Jays in 30. Ever watch that Jays in 30? I watch way more Blue Jays in 30 than I do actual (laughs) Blue Jays games. Same here. Same here. But when the playoffs are on, especially because there's a game, when there was a game every night, it's easier to watch the Jays in 30 than to watch the whole game. But now that the games, there's not a game every night. I've switched over and started watching entire games. And I find myself reaching for the remote to fast forward because I, not only do I watch Jays in 30, I watch Jays in 30 on PVR. So that I can even right. So, so then when I'm watching a live base, and I, I never watch a hockey game live either. I'm usually at least a half an hour behind. If you're the commissioner of baseball, do you like that? That 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 basically you've got your partner broadcaster who's putting out a way more exciting product in Blue Jays in 30, and I'm sure other major league franchises do yeah. it. I mean, baseball, it drags. It really does. And and I'm someone who's loved baseball my whole life. I was a former AAA play-by-play announcer baseball can drag as we all know and if you're if you're getting all of the exciting moments and all the drama as well because there's still enough time in there in the 30 minutes to capture all the drama leading up to the big plays I don't think that that's necessarily good for business 
if you if you're basically you're one of your partner broadcasters is is putting out this what i think is a superior product entertainment wise yeah you're absolutely right. i'd never even thought of it until you just said it now but you're absolutely right like especially from an advertising standpoint um it's a second stream for them like they're still getting their advertising dollars by showing the full game but if i'm advertising i wonder what the rates are to advertise during a Jason 30 versus advertising during an entire game. Um, that would be interesting to find out, but you're, yeah, like viewership would be, I, you know what? I bet you more people would watch Jason 30 if they knew about it and it was easily accessible. I bet you more people would watch the game in 30 minutes than would watch the whole game. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I wonder you, how many you'd people get on fans. Yeah. I wonder how many people actually do know about it, but uh, it's been around for several seasons and it's fantastic. And I mean, NHL.com too. I mean, I'm, they do it I, now. I, they, they don't, I don't. Do they do thirty? I know they, they do. do. Yes, they, they do. Okay, yeah. there you go. It's uh, on. Uh, it's on Rogers. Uh, eventually, after the game, you can watch the game in. Uh, it, I don't think. I'm not sure if it's thirty. I think it's like NHL and thirty something like that. Um, but yeah, on NHL.com, you get that condensed game link, right? You can click on that too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get a ten minute uh, highlight package on NHL.com. I watch that quite a bit. Uh, not the same though. I just, I guess, it's, it comes down to the level of passion you have for the game, and there's too much missed, even in these fantastic long highlight you know, packages. Well, there, there would be there would be less to miss in the hockey game in 30 minutes. When you watch that the, the baseball game in 30 minutes, man, you better not put your head down because like it goes bang, 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 right? Like suddenly it's the bottom of the second and the guy's going to, it's a three, two pitch. And then like three seconds later, it's a, it's a, the, the next inning and it's a one, two pitch to somebody else, you know, and you're like, what the hell happened? Yeah. You can no. really get to throw yourself off. If you've never done it before, you better pay attention. Yeah. The sound of the baseball, uh, the crack of the bat is like a crown and anchor wheel. They're coming so fast and furious, all these hits and home runs and stuff. Uh, anyway, we should get into it. Cause we've got lots to get to here today. And uh, DJ Smith, was on a, a podcast called Cam and Strick. And I got to say, he had his hair way down. Uh, yeah. Definitely uh, having some fun and saying some things. And one of the things that grabbed me, there were two things in particular that grabbed me. We'll begin with this one. He was asked to describe what he thought of Tim Stutzla as a player. And I got to say, most of the time DJ Smith talks in Ottawa on the media about it. He's actually quite reserved about it. It's almost like, okay, maybe I don't want to give the kid a big head too early or anything like that, but he let loose on his affection for Tim Stutzla. The quote was, Stutzla is a star. He reminds me of a bigger version of Pavel Bure, and he's going to flat out score in this league. He loves him. Um, What do you think of that level of comparison? Pavel Bure, one of the most exciting guys that the NHL has ever seen, and that's a... That's a pretty heady comparison. Are you are you down with that, or what did you think? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm I'm surprised, bordering on shocked, that a that he would a that he would believe that, um, and surprised that he would say that. Uh, shocked, sh- sorry, surprised that he believes it. Shocked that he would say it. I don't believe he, it. That that puts a lot of pressure. Like, the guy scored sixty goals, right? I mean, the guy's got 60 goal seasons, had 58 and 59 goal seasons. He's a pure goal scorer by anybody's imagination. And to think that he's going to be that type of player is quite surprising. But who else would know but DJ? He's with the kid every day on the ice every day. 
if he thinks the guy can score 50, 60 goals in the NHL, then who are we to argue? He should be the expert. He's the one who should know. But I just can't see it. I don't see the raw tools. I didn't see a, a level of finish that could compare to Pavel Bure. I didn't see a skating strength the way Never. we saw from Pavel Bure. Like, Bure was so special. I mean, there's only a handful of people that I can ever remember charging through the neutral zone, splitting the defense while everybody's just flat-footed. He was like just a rocket out there, and that's probably why they called him the Russian rocket. Um, I just did, I haven't seen that yet. It may come, I, I suppose, but I mean, I'm, that's, I don't, that's not to demean anything, but if you're going to drag out the name Pavel Bure and slap that on the table and give you know the coach and Steve an opportunity to dine on that and dig into it, I'm sorry, I'm I'm just not seeing that. Uh, he's he's a kid, still a long way to go in his development, but that's a bit much. Yeah, it, like nothing has indicated in his junior career, in his one season of pro, in his world junior appearances, nothing has shown that he is capable of that type of speed, that high end talent, that many goals. I just I, I can't see it. Just cannot see it happening. He did defend. Tim Stutzel a little bit in that, you know, he is so young. He brought up the name Mitch Marner, a guy he had in Toronto when he was assistant coach there, and he wanted to remind everybody, or at least the fellas on the podcast, that, uh, remember, Mitch Marner wasn't even in the league when he was the age Tim Stutzler is right now. And that is certainly something when defining what Tim Stutzler may be on into the future, that is a, a rarity to be in the league and to be fairly impactful at 18. Yeah, it's true. He's still very, very young, but still, Steve, like, come on, you, you, you would have seen the speed at least would have come out. If you're going to compare somebody to Pavel Bure, it, the, the first two things you're thinking of is goal scoring and speed. Um, okay. He's, he's shown signs of having a real nice shot and a good finish, but I don't know that he's shown any signs of that sort of speed and you're going to make that sort of comparison. Like that's just, that's way out there. And I, I wonder if any, or what kind of effect it has on Stutzla to, to hear that. I think the kid's got his head on straight, that it's not going to give him uh, an ego or anything, but I'm more concerned that it's going to give him an um, an unfair goal, uh, an unfair expectation of himself, that uh, a, a, an unrealistic expectation of himself, and probably a lot of fans now because we got lots of people listening to us Steve now they're going to know about this I'm, I'm nervous about what people are going to think now yeah I think he's that kind of strong character though I don't think it'll phase him I think he'll take it fully as a compliment and uh but you never know you know if yeah, I'm not putting up Pavel Bure numbers when I'm you know 23 what's going on uh maybe uh you know maybe I'm struggling here I don't know but um I, I certainly no matter where you're measuring him, whether it's his first year in the NHL or last year, which it was also his first year in the German Pro League, he's, he's been a kid uh, all the way along. And uh, so it's hard True. to know. I mean, DJ Smith may make fools of us all uh, <laughs> and be bang on on this guy. Uh, he is so young at this stage. It's funny you say 23. I just looked it up. At 23 years of age, Pavel Bure scored uh, 60 goals in the NHL. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, of course, different NHL. Okay, we'll give you that. Different NHL. But, okay, is, is 1992-93's 60 goals, 2023-24's uh, 40 goals? Yeah, yeah. Is he a 40-goal scorer? 
I haven't seen it yet, but again, yeah. he's just a kid, so we'll see. And uh, and he might, yeah, maybe the skating continues to develop. I mean, you, you develop players all the time, and in fact, uh, you know, you were working at, with a group in that exact age this year in Slave Lake, Alberta. Do you see eighteen-year-olds get better as skaters going from eighteen to nineteen to twenty, and so on? The the problem is it takes time. Uh, anybody who's gone to the driving range or had one appointment with a club pro in golf can probably relate. You can fix your slice in, in an hour and a half with a pro standing right beside you when you hit a full bucket or two buckets of balls. But if you don't then come back tomorrow and do the same thing again and the next day and the next day and the next day, like it's muscle memory, you're grooving a whole new swing. Same thing with skating. Mark Stone was able to develop his skating with the help of Mark Power and the, and the Senate organization because he was on the ice every day with Mark Power, looking at video, talking to him, teaching him, working with him. Um, it, and speed's a whole other thing. There's there's balance, there's coordination, there's there's developing a better stride. But getting faster to the level of world-class speed when you don't have it to begin with, that's asking a lot. <laughs> it sounds like we're talking about Mark Stone in his junior year. Oh, wow, what are we going to do with this guy skating? We want to be clear <laughs> uh, Tim Stutzla is a, a, an elite skater, but yes. if you're going to throw out the name Pavel Bure, he's not that. And if you're going to throw out Pavel Bure and, and say he's going to score like that, he's not going to, in our opinion. But we'll see. The future is bright, though, across the board, so I don't want to come across as negative toward the player. We're just analyzing something that was said by the head coach. I am more than willing to be pleasantly surprised in the future. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> wouldn't that be nice if he is Pavel Bure? That would be great. And I do think he's a little more physical than Pavel Bure is. I mean, the kid is so young, and yet he's still out there, you know, mucking it up in the corners. And uh, as he gets bigger, I think he'll be more effective in that regard as well. So you always like to see that. I don't necessarily want to see him be proactive and go in there and run guys. I think Alex Formanton is maybe guilty of that. I'm not sure that's his game, but he seems to want to do it. Um, you don't want to discourage physicality, but if you're an elite scorer like Stutzla is, um, you know, you'd like to see him tone it down maybe just a little bit. But I do say, like Sidney Crosby, speaking of ridiculous comparisons, I think he'll eventually be able to deal with all that pushing and shoving and bumping that goes in and battles for pucks in the corners. And that's, that's a good sign if you're able to do that a little bit now at 18, because it'll probably even, it'll be elite by the time you're 24. Agreed. He, he, he'll be good. He's going to be a good one. I uh, Putting the, putting the Pavel Bury comparisons in is probably at the very least it's premature. Yeah. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. But they, I'll say this uh, as well, because I want to kind of balance things out. I think he's going to be a really, really good player, and he may be one of the best kids I've seen come into the league off the ice as well. Tim Stutzla has an effect on that dressing room. And to be 18, and I'm sure you've seen a million 18-year-olds how timid they can be sometimes, particularly going into an NHL dressing room, right away, this, guy, this kid seemed like one of the most popular guys in the room. And not just with the Brady Kachucks and, and the other really young guys on the team. I'm talking like everybody in the room seems to love Tim Stutzla. So that really speaks volumes about the character you got in that guy as well. Agreed. Yep. That's important. Also, let's not forget the age of everybody in that room. Yeah. It makes it easier for guys to fit in with each other because they're such a young, tight group uh, to begin with. Um, if you're accepted by them and there's no reason you wouldn't be right off the bat, 
um, it's it makes it easier for everybody to kind of be on each other's side and support each other and help each other. Yep, no question. Um, and one last thought, one final, final thought on this whole thing. We're cognizant of the fact, too, that, you know, in all likelihood, DJ Smith probably doesn't believe that this is the next Pavel Bure either. I think it's just one, one of those hyperbole things, one of those expressions where you're like, you know, oh, Tim Stutzler, man, he's the best. Well, of course, he's not going to be the best. He's not going to be the best player of all time. It's just the excitement, the hyperbole, and I think that's kind of where it came from. Like, say, oh, yeah, he's the next Pavel Bure. I love that kid. He's the best. So also important in this thing to not take it too literally. Moving on, Josh Norris in the news. Uh, he was fourth in the Calder Trophy voting, and he also this week was named to the NHL's all-rookie team. Uh, I know Josh Norris has been your guy for the last year. You've been a big fan of his. Has uh, the past year been about what you expected? I'm still strong on the guy. I'm still bullish on him. He's, he's going to be here. He's going to be here for a long time. And uh, I look forward to seeing what kind of numbers he puts up this year, taking another step. Yeah, and I think that's got to help. You know, when you get some tangible results, uh, when you're named to the NHL's all-rookie team, I mean, or maybe that's a throwaway. I don't know. I, I have no idea if uh, if today's NHL rookie gives a crap about being named to something like that. Do you think is that's the kind of uh, accolades that might help your confidence? Does it matter to these kids? Oh no, it matters. It's it's recognition. It's um, it shows that you're doing good things and you're you're progressing in the right way in your career. No, I I think he should be very proud of it, and I think anybody would be. Yeah, I think it's it galvanizes that you belong in the league. I think there's, there's yeah. no doubt about that. You're right up against your best peers, and uh, I think that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks for an elite junior hockey player. That, that jump to the NHL, wondering if you're good enough. You're realizing the childhood dream. And, man, that's a lot of pressure that a kid can put on themselves. Now, back to DJ Smith for a second. Yeah. And that interview that he gave uh, on the Cam and Strick podcast this week. He also had something troubling to say because they got into the issue of social media. And he says, yeah, I'm not a Twitter guy. I'm not a social media guy. Doesn't really want to, you know, have to... They'll read all the negativity that's often out there. And, and certainly there was no shortage of negativity at the start of the year. And rightly so, to a degree. That was a brutal hockey club in the month of January into February before they finally started slowly turning the train around. And during those early days, when the Sens went, I don't know, they went 2-12 and 12 or something right out of the gate, I think it was, DJ Smith says that his 17-year-old son was threatened on social media this year and he had to hear uh, my dad uh, or that your dad should be fired from the club but hearing that you know a kid gets threatened for something that's happening in hockey um, it's just another another example of how social media can be such a cesspool that's sad eh it's just sad remember that the world juniors it came down to a shootout and the kid didn't score and the the kind of crap he took the next day was just terrible. I mean, it, it's the age we live in now, right? It's so much easier to sit down and send out a tweet and insult someone. And and I guess it is cyberbullying in, in, in essence. That's a pure definition of what it is, right? You're you're harping on somebody. But, the, but in this case, this is somebody who has no control over it, like as if the kid has any say in it or yeah. can make anything different. It's just wrong, totally wrong. 
It would certainly be neat because um, on Twitter, for example, which is where I spend most of my social media time, uh, you have those blue check marks. Yep. That's basically exactly. that means you're verified, and you have to to get the blue check mark. There has to be some, I guess, some degree you're in the media or some there's some reason that somebody might impersonate you or whatever the reasons for getting a blue check mark. Uh, but you have to send in ID and prove that you are who you say you are. And I would almost be willing to just get off Twitter forever and go to a, a Twitter two where you're only dealing with people who are verified because I think that's the biggest thing. There's a reason we don't go around and talk to each other. Uh, the way you sometimes see people talk to each other on Twitter. Like nobody's going up to DJ Smith, who, by the way, is a big boy and he could hurt you bad. Nobody go up to DJ Smith and threaten to do harm to his 17-year-old son face-to-face. And so with the anonymity and people on there, you know, who can just reach out by tagging your Twitter handle uh, and be completely anonymous about it and say something super ugly, that's just so not cool. And I'd love to see a a social media scenario where everybody effectively is verified. So you know exactly who is saying what, and I think you'll see a really toned down better version of social media. That's a good idea. That's a really good idea. The blue check Twitter. Yeah. Blue check only. Well, I guess in a, in a, in a sense you could only follow blue check people. Right. If, if I only follow blue check people, is other crap going to show up on my timeline? Absolutely. If they tag you, it'll yeah, end up in your notifications. Oh, yeah. If they still tag me. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. And I'm not saying blue check mark is in any level of fame or anything like that. It's not it's not a status no. symbol. It's just a matter of you have gone on to this social media and you have some sort of proof as to who you are. And uh, I think that would make it a better place to be. Speaking of Twitter, do you follow Damien Cox? I do. Are are you are you as ticked off? I guess about this whole thing with the Jer, uh, Jacob Slavin as he is. Uh, I don't think I've seen that. Oh, I, I follow a lot God. of people. Let me say that. So God. I do. I will miss people that I do follow. He, he's been I will also it. say that that particular writer, every second tweet that he comes out with upsets me to a degree. But I think yeah. that is the idea. I don't, I don't understand it. They, they, people calling it clickbait. Like, what are you getting out of that by having a, a reputation of being an ornery, grumpy old man on Twitter? Like, just constantly carving up the NHL every tweet. But he's on the whole Jacob Slavin thing. He's ticked off that Jacob Slavin won the um, uh, the Lady Bing. Oh, yes. I, yeah, yeah, like, I did like, read that. He, but it was going on if seven to 10 days. He's still yakking about it because this guy didn't get, he didn't even finish in the top 10 for the Norris trophy, but he won the lady Bing. He thinks it should have gone to uh, McDavid or to Matthews. And it's just, then he jumped onto something else. I can't remember. Then he's onto the Blackhawks logo. That's the one he's on now is the Blackhawk logo. And the number of people that are replying to him saying, uh, I, I'm, Native American or I'm a Inuit or I'm whatever they are saying, I have no problem with it. I have no problem with it. And I think the Blackhawks have done, a lot of people have said Blackhawks have done some sort of uh, outreach to find out if people are outraged. And apparently it's not as bad as, uh, at least as far as Damien Cox is making it, but he just, he gets on to something and just will not let it go. And it's been, it's like I say, it's, it was a week or 10 days on Jacob Slavin. What do you think about that? Should your lady Bing trophy winner be an all-star? 
I don't care about the Lady Bing Award for starters. <laughs> if they cancel it tomorrow, I'm good with that. So I don't know how you even get that fired up about the Lady Bing Award. Most hockey fans I know don't care. They don't care. And yeah. uh, I don't know. It, it always struck me for most of my life, the Lady Bing Award was uh, something I didn't want because I just yeah. felt like it usually means I'm uninvolved physically. Uh, I'm not getting any penalties. Uh, so I'm just uh, you know floating around out there. That's all. That's always how the Lady Bing felt to me. Well, it always was uh, traditionally awarded to like somebody who was pretty good but didn't get a lot of penalties, right? That that was your norm. Yes. Then somewhere, I want to say somewhere in the mid '90s, or maybe even early, probably in the '80s, it became the consolation prize for the really really good guy who isn't going to win the heart. Like that's when you had Bossy winning like three or four, and Yari Curry won like three or four. It became a consolation prize because sorry, you're not good enough for the heart trophy because this other guy's here. Um, and, and that's sort of what it's been for the last little while, but now you've recognized a guy who plays 20 plus minutes a night in a shutdown role. And I think he had one minor penalty all year, right? That by pure definition is your most generally player. I don't, he doesn't have to be an all-star. Who would you give the lady Bing award? If you gave a, you know, kind of a regional version of the award out to every single team, who would get it on the Ottawa senators? And when I look up and down the roster, as I ask that question, yeah. I think I have way too many candidates right now, to be honest. Which is probably not a good thing. No, it's not. Because I know that from a scouting evaluation, or, well, well I, I do a lot of scouting online, right? I, my first step is to, to get online and look up players and ages, and then I can start looking at video from there. But my first step is looking at players' stat lines. And when you see a defenseman who played 45 games plus and had four minutes in penalties – to me, that's that's a red flag more than a more than a blue check. Yeah, you have Genny Dadnov with four minutes in penalties this year and fifty five games played. There's, you know, I mean, there's still the Austin Watsons, the Brady Kachucks of the world. Even Thomas Shabbat was right there um, with. Uh, I think he's well. Good Branson had a bunch as well, but he's gone. But Shabbat had a lot of penalties as well, even though he's not necessarily that type of player. But uh, yeah, beyond right. that, it's uh, uh, I'm just because you don't have a lot of penalty minutes doesn't mean you're, you're soft per se. I believe the Sens were the leaders in the entire league in body checks and hits thrown. Yeah. So there's that, but there's still maybe just a few too many guys on this team where I say, yeah, they could all win Lady Bang Awards sometime in the I'm, future. <laughs> you're making me think now. I, I, I'm going back to your original take of you, they could get rid of it tomorrow and you wouldn't care. Right. I'm yeah. with you on that. Yeah. yeah. Let, let's leave it there. Uh, yeah, okay. We'll cancel the award and the Sens won't have to worry about it uh, moving on into the future. Former Sens head coach in the news, or assistant coach, I should say, in Andre Tourigny. He has uh, been the very successful head coach of the Ottawa 67s for a few seasons now, and he is now leaving the junior club. He is now the Arizona Coyotes' new head coach. It's a three-year contract with the dogs. Going to the dogs, he is, the bear. Um, a lot of animals in there. And what did you think of that hire by Arizona? I'm not sure. Uh, love the guy. does a great job. I just, it would be the same sort of thing. Uh, the senators, I want to see the senators hire a coach with a name, with a brand, with some recognition, who's been around. Um, and I, I can't help thinking the same sort of thing. But you're in Arizona. I don't think you're worried about fan reaction. You're not really worried about media, uh, whether he's media friendly or not. 
you don't really worry about resume. You need a guy who can go in there and work with them and teach them and develop them and make them better. So in that sense, it's a good hire and it's a real good spot for Andre to go in that sense. Uh, I don't know that he's the right guy for the job or not. I honestly, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he spent, what, 10 years in Ruan Aranda as the head coach, was very successful, uh, never really had any any stars or studs or nobody really great played under him or went on to anything, and yet he still did very well. So in that sense, that kind of sounds like what the Arizona Coyotes are, aren't they? Yep. I will say this. I, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody who'd say a, a bad thing about Andre Tourigny, the person that sat beside him at a Sens banquet and uh, chatted hockey for several hours because it went on forever. <laughs> yeah. um, great guy. I'm a big fan of the guy. But, yeah, I'm in the mode of I'm not sure because, honestly, that Ottawa 67s team that he got stacked stacked here's the keys to your cadillac andre go get them um so that was a great team and andre tourney in all likelihood helped make them a little better but it was still as we all know show me a great coach i'll show you a team that's generally stacked as well uh so it's hard to know and then you know the other thing that gets you all fired up about andre tourney's resume is team canada Gold medal. Hockey Canada. Yeah, he's got the Hockey Canada seal of approval. Yeah. But again, stacked. Yeah. Uh, it's again another Cadillac that he was handed. So it's an opportunity. Um, I mean, James Boyd, you got to, I'm sure that there's a big old thank you for, for James Boyd and the team he's able to put together in Ottawa because, um, you know, maybe that Team Canada option doesn't come along to coach the World Junior team without that roster. And uh, so one thing leads to another. And uh, opportunity knocked loudly for well, Andre Tourney. Let me ask you this. Is, is is he what Arizona needs? Does Arizona need a name and a face and, and somebody to be the, 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 the self-promotion PR department? Do they need somebody out there and about? Or is this the way to go? What do you think? It can be for sure. I mean, every great coach had a rookie season in the NHL. Anybody you think is a legend, Scotty Bowman on down. They had a rookie season in the NHL, and everybody's got to get their start somewhere. And I know I, I will say, Tourney seems like a you know natural leader of men, quality human being. He'll treat the guys, and I think that's important in 2021. You can't go in with any level of old school mentality, or you'll just get buried. I think he's got all those ingredients in terms of running a bench day to day. That's the proof will be in the pudding, as they say. Well, what about in the mar- in that market though? Is that what's needed in that market? I think winning is what they need in that market. And if he can, <laughs> he can deliver that, yeah, they can, you know, his nickname is the bear. They can actually put an actual bear behind the bench for the Arizona Coyotes. So long as they're winning hockey games. It reminds me of, uh, of uh, Boom Boom Jeffrey on when he went down to coach the Atlanta Flames. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it broke in English, um, but became a showman. And is still beloved in the city of Atlanta. I think he even he lives there or lived there uh, after his career. He kept a home there. It just it reminds me sort of that. I, I every time I hear Bear speak, I, I feel sorry for him because he's he's bordering on hockey tactical genius, and yet English is his second language. And now you're going to Phoenix for crying out loud. I wonder how that's going to go over uh, with his media availabilities. Yeah. They'll have to get used to it for sure. Another obscure coach, although a great player, 
Rocket Richard, Quebec Nordiques head coach in the early days. True. A lot of people don't remember that one. Um, moving right along, though. So okay, good luck go to Andre Tourney. I hope we didn't come across as negative there, per se, but I'm, I'm kind of in a wait-and-see mode, if you want my honest opinion. I'd love to go down the road that uh, most in the media do. Oh, great guy, hell of a head coach, guaranteed success. Hey, I hope it is a, a big success because uh, the guy is a fantastic guy and deserves it, but I uh, just don't ask me the question, how will he do? I don't know. Final thought, though, at least unlike other junior coaches who go to the NHL as a head coach, he's had experience as an assistant. He had the one season here under Dave Cameron, I think. Correct. And he had two seasons in uh, in Colorado prior to that. So he's been in an NHL environment, um, and he probably ran the 67s much the same way as an NHL club would with scheduled uh, appointments and media and meetings and and uh, video and the whole nine yards. So he won't have uh, an adjustment period that maybe a, a, another uh, head coach from junior would have jumping to the NHL. All right, let's move along to the Stanley Cup final. Yes, it's still going. So there's Josh Anderson, that courtesy of Sportsnet with your game-winning goal. Josh Anderson certainly showed up in game number four, opening the scoring and then scoring a beauty in OT. And the Montreal Canadiens win 3-2 in overtime in game number four to stay alive. Um, But for how long? The series shifting now to Tampa Bay. As we're recording this right now, we still have game five uh, coming up, I believe. And so, yeah, I wonder... Is this just delaying the inevitable? Is there any chance of yet another miracle comeback like they had against Toronto in round one? No, they're done, Steve. They're done. Okay, they they produced one win for the screaming idiots in the stands there, and the, and the and the thousands upon thousands who are cramming themselves into barren, empty spaces outside. Uh, but they're done. Like, come on. There's no way they're gonna. They're, they're not even gonna win another game, let alone another three games. I thought that was going to be the end of them in game four, but. Uh, that's, oh, about the, was that's, about the, that's about the eighth time I've been wrong about the Habs <laughs> in these playoffs. So, um, well, I thought Tampa was, as we say, flatter than piss on a platter. Right? They didn't look. They didn't look good. It was almost as if they were like, oh, you know, let's get this over with and go win it at home. So, by the time our next episode rolls around, we'll know who the Stanley Cup champion is. Um, who do you believe the Conn Smythe Trophy champion will be? Champion. Well, uh, uh, calls it a champion. champion. Yeah, good one. Good one. Um, well, if you'd asked me before the final started, I was all on the Braden Point bandwagon, despite Kucherov's point production, despite Vasilevsky's goaltending. I was all over Braden Point because I prefer Braden Point hockey player to either of the other two. Um, but as the final has gone on, I, it's it's a two man race now to me. It's between Vasilevsky and Kucherov, and. Um, I think they're going to give it to Kucherov. I'd agree. And I wonder the zero games played in the regular season. When you look at that, zero games in the regular yeah. season, and now he could win the Conn Smythe Trophy, and he's probably the leader in that area. Um, is that an advantage or a disadvantage? <laughs> yeah, it makes you think, huh? 
because you know what they say that there's there's the preseason, there's the season, then there's the last half of the season, then there's the playoffs, and then there's the finals, right? There's like six levels that you got to get through of play, and it just keeps getting harder and harder. And this guy steps in for the playoffs and produces like nobody's business like he normally does. Um, like so game he, one of the playoffs, he was excellent right out of the gate against Florida back in round yeah, one. You, you have to be impressed. There's no other way to look at it, right? But uh, yeah, it, it's got to be difficult. My God, to jump in at that sort of at that pace that they're playing at at that time of year and, and just jump right in. Wow. Like, does, but does that sway voters? Is that what you're saying? No, no. I just mean, you know, there's the zero games played. You've got the rust. Um, and so that's a disadvantage. But some might suggest that uh, you're fresher than everybody else in the playoffs at this stage of the game, too. So uh, but that the way he looked so quickly to start the playoffs in game one, to me, that's more fuel to the fire that Tampa was holding him out intentionally. That, <laughs> that there was he had been healthy for a long time before that game one against Florida. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind because he, he didn't show any rust that night, timing off or anything like that, and he hasn't shown it really any rust throughout the entire playoffs. So that tells me this guy was this guy was working hard, full health, you know, going hard at practice or whatever. Um, that that adds more fuel to the fire that this guy could have been back sooner than he actually was. And for those who've been not following that story, the allegation is they intentionally kept him out because it was going to give them salary cap relief. Yeah, probably. I, I believe that's uh, probably exactly what went down. But then again, there are there are teams that hold guys out of the lineup lots of times, juggle things around for salary cap reasons for a one game or for a week or for a few days. But this is a team that basically took advantage of it all season. It's They're not alone. They're not the first team that ever did it. Um, Chicago did some things when they were winning. Um, there was a year that Peter Forsberg didn't play a game all season and then stepped in and played uh, 20 playoff games for Colorado. It's not so. So if something was going to be done about it, if the NHL, if the GMs, if whoever was really ticked off enough about it, there's been times that it's happened in the past where something could happen, where something could have been done. They could have fixed it. I understand the Forsberg thing wasn't during uh, a cap. Uh, NHL, but Chicago certainly was. And there, w- there was another example that I read about recently. Maybe you you can help me out with that one. There's been at least a couple examples of it in the past where teams have done this exact thing uh, come playoff time or, or to prepare for the playoffs. So it's not alone. Uh, I, I, I honestly believe that if they were really that ticked off about it, they would have fixed it by now. What popped into my head was you were talking there in terms of people being out for the entire season and on long-term injured reserve. It was nice to see Jonathan Taves back and skating at Chicago's practice facility again uh, after missing the whole season with, well, I, honestly, I, I don't know what exactly he uh, had. <laughs> he, 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 he came out with a term, uh, and I looked it up, on, on the, and I can't even find it on the internet, uh, whatever it's, it was it, he had. It sounds like, remember, who, who was it who said, uh, I think it was Toronto, it was either Pat Quinn or Brian Burke, when they first started giving these phantom names for injuries, upper body and lower body, I think it was one of those two who said general body soreness. Right. So that, that, that seems to be what applies here is it, it sounded like his immune system wasn't able to fight anything that was happening to it. Um, it. It was probably COVID related and he was just unable to do anything all year. But yeah, you're right. It's nice to see him back. He's a, my kind of player. I like Jonathan Taves. Yeah, for sure. And he says it wasn't COVID related. It was something called chronic immune response syndrome. So there yes, you go. it is a immune system uh, based, but uh, uh, you know, 
it's great to see him back. Uh, he's been uh, he's a Hall of Famer and probably still has some good hockey left ahead of him. And uh, yeah, so I was glad to see that this week. And one last thought on the Stanley Cup final. I will give Montreal their due. And another example of me being wrong about them again. I mean, tell yes. me you hadn't given up on them completely when Shea Weber in a tie game oh, yeah. takes a high stick right at the end of regulation. And so they had to kill about, what, three minutes of, of – uh, they had to kill off penalty for three minutes into the overtime. And then not only are they successful doing it, they get the game-winning goal. But uh, did you not think they were done when Shea Weber took a double minor for high sticking? For sure. Uh, I, I didn't think they were done in regulation, but I thought for sure. Uh, you know, an 18-minute intermission, fresh ice, they're going to come up, and that power play. It was it was horrible, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, this is the best power play in the league, the best power play through all the playoffs. They were at something like 35 or 36%, and just that power play was absolutely atrocious to open the overtime. It should have been over in no time. Yeah, and you think back earlier in regulation, mm-hmm. it was just uh, – it was – Beautiful. You see Kucherov on the half boards, and he was either one timing it on, on on the pass from Hedman, or just faking the little head fake for the shot and gets it over to Point, who one times it in the in the slot area. It was it, it just looks beautiful when it works right. But uh, yeah, well, that Kucherov's a magician. Oh yeah, like like that's that's a clinic in how to work the half wall in an umbrella. It's a clinic. He's either, as you say, it's either the one time shot. It's the one-touch pass to point, or it's the one-touch pass all the way across to Stamkos, or if neither of them are there or none of those three options are there, he reads it so quickly, so fast, he sees exactly what's going on. He'll do the one-touch down low to the goal line to either Palat now or normally Kalorn, who then does the one-touch into the slot to point from down there from a different angle. Like Those are your basic four options off that, um, other than, of course, the return pass to Hedman. So really, he's got about five options when he gets the puck on that wall, and he never seems to make the wrong choice. I meant to follow up in our Con Smythe discussion. Um, is there anything that could happen? And I know you probably love this trivia as much as anybody. The losing player oh, geez, winning no. a Con Smythe trophy. Is there anything that could happen where Carey Price could get the Con Smythe in a losing cause? He would have to stand on his head, take it to seven games, I would think, to even get consideration for it. I, I think historically when the loser gets it, sorry, when a player from the losing team gets it, um, I, I, it's usually a goalie, right? It's uh, it's what, uh, Glenn Hall, or Roger Crozier, Bernie Perrant? Is there anybody else? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think, did Glenn Hall do it? Maybe he didn't. Maybe I'm not, right. I, my Definitely own, Roger Crozier and Bernie Perrant. I don't think Bernie Perrant did. I'm I'm thinking he did. He got to two cup finals and won them both. Yes, he did. So that's not a losing cause. No, no. They also, the next year when they lost to the Habs, did Perron win or did Leach win? Leach did. Okay, then Bernie won both. Then Bernie won both the years they won? No. Uh, Actually, he did. So Reggie Leach is in the mix, but he's not a goalie. Yeah. He won the year they lost? Correct. Okay. Fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll defer to you. So I believe, and this came up on uh, the SWP today. Uh, oh, okay. I, and I didn't look it up or anything, but I believe it's Roger Crozier. That's for sure. Ron Hextall and J.S. Really? Jaguar. Hextall in 87? Yes. Okay. I can believe that was that happened, sure. And Jaguar in 03. 
Oh, Jaguar for sure. Uh, I'm looking it up as we speak. Engstall in 87 is correct. Uh, Leach, yeah, Bernie did win back-to-back. So both cup years he won. So the, the, the year that they gave it to a player from the losing team was Leach in 76. That was his 19 goal year. Ta-da. At 1968, some guy named Glenn Hall. All right, then. I was wrong on that one. There I did go. not think Glenn yeah. Hall was in the mix as well. All right. There you are. We've covered so it Crozier, off. Crozier, Hall. Anyway, so to get back to your question. <laughs> yeah, Carey Price. Is Carey Price even going to be in the conversation? I would say, as I said mere moments ago, he would have to stand on his head. He would have to be the reason that they get to Game 7 and then lose Game 7 in a close game. Like if, if, even if they win five, four, four, three and get to game seven, that's not enough. That's not going to turn anybody's heads, but if they win tomorrow night, one, nothing, and then they win two, one or something and get it to game seven and they lose game seven by a goal, then maybe he gets into the conversation. Very good. What are you thinking? If you had a scenario where Tampa Bay didn't already have two tailor-made con Smythe candidates, point, yeah. If they were kind of that, you know, big time, all team, all the time, they didn't really have any superstar performances happening, then, uh, yeah, maybe you could make an argument that even if they lose in game five, Carey Price would get some consideration. But Kucherov and Vasilevsky have been just awesome. And I'd even put Braden Point uh, ahead. Uh, those all three are better right now. But if they do get it to game seven, um, it's still going to be very close. I would, uh, it would have to be like game seven. Carey Price is unbelievable. It goes to overtime and Price is unbelievable there too. And uh, at that stage, I think you'd see some media members really inspired by what they'd seen from Carey Price. So, right. Like that, that'll get, like I said, that'll get him into the conversation. Yep. Does he win it? No. Like, okay. If they come back and win it, well, no, and we're only discussing that if he's on the losing team. Yeah. If they come back and win it, then he wins. <laughs> but, yep. uh, or, or you know what? If they come back and win it, do we have the same discussion about, well, wait a minute, is Kucherov still a valuable, valid candidate? So you could still have that going for you. But if they if they come back, get it close, go to seven games, he gets into the conversation, maybe he finishes third or fourth, but there's there's I, I think even then he still doesn't win. Yeah, and people will be having that discussion that we had uh, a moment ago about Kucherov too. I think there would be some voters who say, well, he, got, he has to get it. He didn't play any regular season games. That's amazing. And others will say, well, I'm not giving it to that guy because he just rested through the old regular season, for God's sake. So uh, <laughs> it might split the vote maybe a little bit, but I think it'll stay on the Tampa Bay side. A um, couple of things before we wrap up. Yes. It is time for Birthdays. the DunrobinDistilleries.com oh. player profile. And today, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, and I see people are picking up on my nickname choice. Okay. I lay claim to this one as a choice of nicknames. Okay, what's this? Alex I Formanton. I came up with Great Dane. Great Dane, okay. That's mine. Alex uh, Formanton. Yeah. Flash Formanton. I apologize. I hadn't heard this. Where did you copyright this? Where did you first? Uh, I, I'm assuming this came out on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure I can go back because I see other people using it now. I do. Oh, Flash Formanton. If anybody challenges me on it, I will go back in time. And uh, show you the original tweet, and I bet nobody said it before then. Flash Formanton. That's not bad. That's right. that's uh, and, and suits him too. It's that's very good, Steve. Thank you. And there's some uh, alliteration there too. Right. That's always good. Yeah. Well, and it's actually like it popped into my head because uh, 
when I was at the very first Ottawa Senator game ever back in 1992. Yes. Sens beat the Habs that night. Habs who go on to win the Stanley Cup that year. And Neil Brady. A, no, no, it had nothing to do with Brady. Oh, okay, uh, sorry. Unless his name was Flash Brady. <laughs> but uh, that night, of course, the entire city of Ottawa was the entire media wanted to be there, both sports and news. And so you remember the Civic Center, uh, yep. even to this day, doesn't have much of a press box. And so what they did, they just gave us tickets. So I got oh. I got tickets in like, I don't know, blue line, 10th row. And I was sitting with another media member, and his name was Flash Ferguson. Oh. Worked at Energy 1200 back in the day before Energy 1200 flipped over to Ottawa Sports Radio OSR, then the team, right. and now as it stands now, TSN 1200. So that uh, may have played wow. a hand into the thought process. But uh, anyway, he's fast. So I went with Flash. There's also a TV show and a famous superhero called The Flash who's very fast. So yeah. anyway, that's our player profile today. Uh, it's Alex Formanton. Flash Formanton. Flash. You won't find many faster skaters on the planet than Alex Formanton, and that's a big reason the Sens chose him in the second round of the 2017 NHL draft. And by the way, that was the pick the Sens got from the Flames when they dealt away Curtis Lazar. A few months later, Formanton shocked everyone by making the team out of camp, becoming the youngest player to play a game for the Senators. But that was all he would play, just the one game. Within a few days, he was returned to junior and he's bounced around between Ottawa, London, and Belleville ever since. Finally this year, he seems to have arrived full-time with the club, getting called up in late March and playing the final 20 games in Ottawa. Tough to say if Formanton's skill can translate to a top-six role someday. He certainly, though, has the speed and edge to be a major factor, at least in the bottom six, providing elusive secondary scoring. Formanton also with a keen eye for business, already starting his own clothing line called Tight Apparel. Alex Formanton, our player profile, brought to you by Dunrobin Distilleries. Just like craft beer years ago, the market for craft spirits is booming right now, and Dunrobin Distilleries is at the forefront in Ottawa. They currently offer artisanal gin and vodka, rye whiskey, 12 different flavors of bitters, and their recently launched Earl Grey Gin, all made with the finest quality ingredients right here in Ottawa. Uh, also want to mention their whiskeys won a couple of prestigious awards, a gold and bronze medal at the Micro Liquor Spirits Awards, and now all available at the LCBO. DunrobinDistilleries.com, where will your spirit take you? Okay, let us get to some Sens history. It was eight years ago this week Alfie signed with Detroit. Oh, I don't want to spend a second on that. Why do people want to go down that road? Well, that that's... That's here now. Do you know the story? Do you know the inner workings? What really happened? What really went on? I know there was some back and forth between Daniel Alfredson and ownership. Well, here's the story that I know. He had one year left. Remember, he signed one of those silly contracts that went on forever, and the last year was only for help me out a million or five hundred thousand. Um. Yeah, might have been a million. I think. Yeah, the last year was ridiculously cheap, as you recall. They came to Alfie before that last season and said, we'd like to sign you an extension. And from what I was told, the offer was uh, another year after this one for $10 million. So the thought process being it's $5 million a year for two years. 
you have one year left at a million and that really screws you. So we're going to give you the next year for 9 million. Right. That was the, that was the deal. Seems reasonable. Yeah. So he played that last year and he said, no, for some reason, I don't know why that maybe, you know, maybe he's kicking himself for that, but he said no. But then at the end of the season, he came to them and believed that the starting point for negotiations should be 5 million a year because they were essentially willing to pay him two years, 10 million. Right. So he, his starting point was 5 million and that's where all the, the, the excrement hit the cooling device from there. It's, it's all very frustrating, but whatever money you saved in, in the moment, I think you lost based on this whole Melnick out campaign. Maybe there is no Melnick out campaign without the way Daniel Lofferson was treated. Um, you know, when you look at why that came, campaign exists, that's got to be one of your Mount Rushmore moments, does it not? For sure. For sure. It was the beginning of the end. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think, is there anything that went down before that point in your Melnick and City of Ottawa history? Uh, is that is that the first real big one that, where people went, uh-oh, look out? Well, two, guy, two oh. popped to mind. There was that one moment which sort of, it didn't really do much, but it did show off the owner's volatility. Volatility. Um, back to the product here. Anyway. Um, <laughs> He said something along the lines of when just after the 07 Cup team, um, I think they, they hit, hit hard times fast. 08, 09, they missed the playoffs for the first time in 11 right. or 12 years. And, so, and some media member asked about blowing the team up. And Melna came back with, anybody who thinks that we should blow this team up, they should just go out and blow themselves up. I was like, oh, that's a bit much. That's a bit okay. much. Okay. And I also wonder a little bit about how, because we all – I think generally for many years after it happened, when the Zidane Chara thing went down the way it did and, and Marion Hosa was signed to a, you know, this six year, $6 million contract that immediately traded the next day. I think people were thinking that was all muckler, but now in hindsight, don't we look back at, at Marion Hosa and that long-term expensive contract that they sign him to and then trade him away the next day? Does that not sound like it would have the owner's fingerprints all over that? I've never thought that. Are you thinking it now? I'm, I'm starting to, but at the time, uh, up until this very moment, I always believed that that was a muckler decision. I mean, he'd said all along, leading up to the whole arbitration, we're not paying him that, we're not giving him that, we're not going to do that, we're not going to give that much money, yada, yada. And then, boom, as soon as he, as soon as he was awarded, it was uh, it was done. Move on, but maybe maybe Melnick did have something to do with that. It's hard to but know. And, and I, I'm, I'm the same as you. I, I, I only yeah. until recently did I start thinking about okay moments in the past. I start thinking differently about well, that that plays into almost every decision the Sens have made since 2004. I wonder yeah. because the owner is so involved. You hear him on Bob McCown on the podcast. He speaks very much like a general manager speaks. We're going to do this. We're going to sign that guy. We're going to st- um, stay in your lane, dude. <laughs> uh, are we going to have an in-depth show on uh, looking at the possible defensemen? We've we've talked about the centermen a lot, but we need to talk about the this top four defenseman idea that they're that that Eugene's going to find too. We need to get into that at one point, don't we? Yeah, we should. But it might be David Savard. You think so? Well, he's a possibility. You know who the number Isn't one he- name I hear from. Sens fans 
I bet I've heard it half a dozen times with buddies I golf with and people I talk Goligoski. to on social media. Sorry? Goligoski. No. Shomerson. Chernak. Nicholas, Nicholas Chernak. Okay, that's not going to happen. Uh, why would Tampa get rid of Chernak? No, they're protecting him. They're, they're going to so. be one of the few teams. They will be one of the few teams that will go eight skaters because they're going to protect four defensemen. They're going to protect their their top four. Like I agree, Chernak, yeah, a year ago would have been a great idea. If they could have swung a deal a year ago, and, and you know what? The deal was probably there. If they were willing to do the deal with the member when it was all about Tyler Johnson's contract or Killorn's contract or somebody, Palat, these guys are all making too much money. Somebody's going to have to go. If they were willing to jump in then and take away Johnson, they probably could have got Chernak thrown in, but not now. It's way too late. That ship has sailed. That uh, The barn door is closed. You're not getting Chernak. So start watching David Savard. In, in the final game of the Stanley Cup final tomorrow night because he might be on your in your top three possibilities. All right. Let us get to the birthdays for this week. What we're going to do this week is we're switching it up. We're going to go and look at the birthdays that are coming up this week. So you can be ready with a present, maybe a nice bottle of Dunrobin Distillery's Canadian Rye. Huh? How about that? <laughs> Savvy radio veteran. See? Uh, no active players celebrating birthdays this week, but loads of Sens alumni. Patrick Laleem turning 47 this week. I'm kind of hoping yeah, Joe Newendike gets him something nice for all the nice <laughs> gifts he gave to Joe in the spring of 04. And you know what I learned this week that I didn't know before? What's that? Did you know that Spartacat was not the first choice for a team mascot? I did not know that. What was yeah, it? Do you know what was first choice? I don't know. Marvin the Martian. Oh, and, you know, I've always seen the Marvin the Martian on his mask, Patrick Leem's mask. And I will admit that for quite a long time, it it perplexed me. What the hell is that guy doing on his mask? And then it finally hit me. And, of course, he's dressed as a, he's wearing a, a senator hat, helmet, whatever, right? He's dressed like a senator. Well, sorry, like a Roman centurion who somehow gets morphed into a senator but anyway that's a whole other show we've already discussed that before well why didn't yeah, Liam tell us that i didn't know that that's good trivia uh, i had no they idea they couldn't get that well i don't know if he did it because of that but originally that was their first choice was to have marvin the martian but it was way too expensive obviously to uh, right. pay warner brothers to have marvin the martian as your mascot so that's when that's how spartacat came about lousy copyrights um yeah. and, and then of course people complained because spartacat is not uh bilingual you can't say Sparta Shat. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Huh. People were upset. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Right along. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Chris Campoli's 37 this week. I don't have a lot to say about Chris Campoli. Uh, didn't he have a terrible giveaway in one of the, not with the Sens, but like in a Stanley Cup final, I want to say? Like that was really costly, like massive. But I'll have to look that up. Well, the big thing that strikes me about Chris Campoli is there, there was a first round draft choice in there, was there not? Um. Yeah, there was something in there with the Islanders, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty that. sure. If, let's go back here. You know, I'm looking it up. Oh my God, it's our old friend Kyle Palmieri, <laughs> the pick that everybody owned. Right, right. He was traded from the Islanders with Mike Comrie to Ottawa for Dean McCammond and a first round pick that turned into Kyle Palmieri. Right. So you got uh, Mike Comrie and uh, and uh, Chris Campoli cost you a first rounder and Dean McCammond. The um, I've got the giveaway as well. When Campoli in 2011, Chicago? yep, was with Chicago, 
he uh, he coughed it up to Alex Burroughs, the former senator. Burroughs with the Canucks. Oh, it was Game 7 overtime in 2011, and Campoli coughs up the puck. Burroughs scores. Hawks, Stanley Cup defense over. Yeah, it came up the wall, right up the left wing, his left wing. Right. Yeah, and, and Burroughs just kind of basically uh, took a 45-degree angle to the net from there and scored. Correct. Yes, I remember it. Other birthdays this week, Stefan DaCosta. Remember how much hype there was about that guy coming out of Merrimack? He's 32 today, but uh, never really lived up to that hype as he arrived in town, did he? Yet another in a long line of failed. I didn't I didn't get drafted three times, so but I'm still a superstar. Give me big money. What's the goalie's name? O'Connor? Matt O'Connor. Yeah, like just a long, long line of these guys. There's There's a couple of them sprinkled throughout the league. They didn't get drafted once. They didn't get drafted twice. Now they're finished, so now they're eligible. Bang, congratulations, you're a free agent. Right. Uh, what is the guy's name? You're talking about senators who were uh, no, signed as college senator. free agents? No, this isn't a senator. He's the most, he, He's just one of those most recent flop guys. But the senator's a free agent. Let's see, the, the kid from Ottawa, JR's neighbor there. What's his name? Jesse he Winchester. No, no, no. JR's neighbor played with the 67s uh, AAA. Oh, Max Verano. Yeah, Max Verano is another one. Yeah, and Winchester's another one. Uh, O'Connor. Uh, Bobby Butler. It was Bobby Butler. Yep. And it's like, oh, you know, the big sweepstakes to to get this guy. And, you know, you, we got him. And, yeah, okay, great. Yeah, what did it get you? If you're wondering about Stefan DeCosta and what's he's up to, what he's up to now this past sure. season, he had 57 points in 52 games for Kazan Akbars in the KHL. There you are. There you are indeed. I hope they still have his rights because you never know. You never know. (laughs) I do know. It's not coming back. Uh, Mark Borowiecki's 32 years of age. 32. Nashville Predators. Yep. Mike Riley is 28. Boston Bruin. Uh, I wonder if he'll get signed anywhere. Uh, Oh, I would think so. Yeah. Boston loved him. Right? Yeah. I I think he'll be be fine. I I like him as a bottom three defense. Um you know, you start playing them up the, up the, uh, up the lineup a little too much, as the Sens did from time to time in terms of eating up minutes, and you start to see some glitchiness there. But man, in a five-six role, I'm mi- big time content with Mike Riley back there. Finally, Peter Schaefer is 44 years of age today. I loved him. I was always a Peter Schaefer fan, chairman of the boards. That guy could cycle a puck. That guy could work corners like nobody's business. And, of course, that all-time goal where he flipped it up in the air, popped it over whoever it was. Right? Remember that one? I want to say it was against Dallas. It might have been. Was it at Belfour? I agree it was Dallas, but I couldn't tell you what goalie it was, but what a goal. Yeah. Flipped it up to himself and just. uh, Yeah. Beautiful. Drake Kajula. Oh. I wouldn't have got that. That's your guy. From UND, of all places. There you go. Yeah, 25 uh, goals in his final year as a senior at uh, UND, and then Edmonton signed him, and he scored seven goals. All right. Good to know. And that's where we'll call it a day. Thank you for being with us today. Don't forget our website is sensnationhockey.com. We've got some great articles, great writing team there. You can find an archive of past shows and our Patreon memberships as well available. We uh, encourage you to sign up, basically buy us a a pint once a month is about the equivalent. And uh, thanks to, uh, let's say, give a couple of shout-outs here to Scott Costin and Adam Newton. Thank you, fellas. Uh, again, SensNationHockey.com. 
Until next time, have a great week, everybody. Greg, thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a good night. Habs are done. (laughs) That's the spirit.